This is a HeadGum Podcast. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. And Amanda, you'll appreciate my sound studio. <laughs> I'm in my closet. I love it. Mm-hmm. I'm in my kitchen and I fed my cats, so hopefully they won't come attacking this session. Okay. Well, even food. if they are. We're ready for anything. I am a cat person, Amanda. Awesome. It all started when Tig and Cheryl met in the mid-2000s. Hey, nice to meet you, Tig. I'm Cheryl Hines. Hi, Cheryl. I'm Tig Notaro. Should we do a podcast about documentaries? Yes. A podcast about documentaries? This is microphone on. Five furious frogs fiddling faintly. Furious frogs fiddling faintly. Five furious frogs faintly. I am the first ever podcast. And Tig and Cheryl are following in the sound of my footsteps. Let's get started. I'm so ready. Tig and Cheryl. True story. Hey, Tig. Hi, Cheryl. How are I you? am beyond excited at this moment. Well, we're doing something very different. We've never I, done what we're about to do. No, it is so extraordinary and special. Who is our guest, by the way? I haven't even looked. <laughs> so we, we talked about Amanda Knox on uh, Netflix because there's been a lot of um, different projects about Amanda Knox and Mm. this one I I think there's one on ice that project we really Amanda Knox on ice (laughs) remember that one did you see that one oh my gosh Amanda Knox on ice Um, the Disney special can we say hello to you hello Hello. and welcome (laughs) Um, thank you for having me. Oh, my God. We have so many questions for you. First of all, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for listening to Tig and Cheryl True Story. And I'm sort of embarrassed uh, because God knows what we were, like, rambling on about. We, <laughs> we don't take a lot of things too seriously. Like, we focus a lot on the meatball making, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Here's my main question for you. In listening to the podcast, were you like, (gasps) when I said, here's what's crazy, Amanda Knox is listening to this episode? (laughs) (laughs) Um, If anything, it reminded me of how this one time I went to go see a comedian do stand up Uh for like my Uh sister's birthday. Who? Who's the comedian? um, Some just local comedian. I don't actually even remember his name anymore. But he started having this whole stand-up routine um, about me. And it wasn't very kind, unfortunately. Uh Um, But it was was very traumatic for my little sister because it was like she brought us out to her favorite comedian for her birthday. And then he started, like, trashing on me. And... um, Uh and (laughs) Did he have any idea you were there? No, no, no. I think, (gasps) yeah, it's... I think most of the time when people are talking about me, they don't really know that I might hear about it. Um, Did you say anything? <laughs> no, it's totally like, it's like so mild. Like it's, I, I was not rolling my eyes or anything about that. Yeah. How did you feel when you were listening to our episode and our take on your experience? How did you how did you feel? I mean, well, I mean, whenever like people I admire talk about me, I get a little butterfly because I'm like, oh, uh, here's, you know, 
once again, this like weird sort of reality that I live in where I feel like there's a version of me out in the world that people have strong opinions about. Um, and I don't have any control over that version of me that exists in the world. And so I was like, oh dear, I wonder what these people who I've, you know, seen their work and I love their work are going to say about me. And I don't know, like I was a little butterflies, but I listened to it this morning and I, and I had a laugh and, you know, like, I know how embarrassing <laughs> it is. Like I saw the documentary. <laughs> so, like, well, I mean, we did give you a hard time about being a little, oh, about not being able to read the room. Mm -hmm. I think it, that was our, <laughs> which by the way, I mean, the whole, story is so um, dramatic and unbelievable. And just to catch everybody up in a nutshell, when you were 20, you went to Italy. Tragically, your roommate was murdered. And for some reason, beyond comprehension, people in this little town thought that you did it. And Amanda, as you heard, I was one of those people that... Um, I mean, I, I am mortified that I saw your documentary, completely forgot everything, and then if anyone ever would have asked me about you, I would have been like, oh yeah, the girl that killed her roommate in Italy, that I would have thought that. And then I saw the documentary again because I thought this is a serious topic and I should probably know more information. And I rewatched it and then I, I said to my wife, wait a minute, there was no DNA? Her DNA was nowhere? I mean, I don't blame you for thinking that about me. I mean, lots and lots of people have thought that about me. And I've since everything happened, um, you know, I've occasionally talked publicly about it, like at schools or, or, you know, groups that have asked me to come talk about it. And I've had people come up to me just crying because they were like, oh my God, I swore that you were guilty or I treated you like entertainment and I'm so sorry. And like, I understand, like, it's so easy to absorb casually. Like, it's not like you were sort of going down the rabbit holes and pursuing all of the, you know, the leads of the case, I imagine. I imagine it's just kind of like you casually absorbed what was put out there in the world. And we all do that every day. So I don't like blame you for that. Um, I, I blame her. That. I blame her. <laughs> Cheryl, Amanda. stay out of this. I'm talking to, to Amanda day, Knox. I, blame her. I am talking to Amanda Knox on a podcast <laughs> that has my name in the title. This happened to you when you were 20. You were so young. And I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, when I was 20, I was like, playing beer pong and nothing has changed Cheryl let's be honest okay we had I, to I, drag her away from beer pong to do this <laughs> interview I would not have been mentally capable of enduring what you what you went through and so I think that was also part of the story was people feeling like you didn't react the right way or you seemed weird about it yeah so i'm sure when you think about this story there must be a part of it that you feel like uh, why didn't anybody give me a break i was 20. yeah i mean i definitely know that there are um mature 20 year olds out there in the world but i was not one of them um and i think you know you guys brought up the phone call that i had with my best friend who remains like one of my deeply deeply close very very good friends and she, when she saw the documentary, was also mortified mm. because here we were, these two 20-year-old girls who had never had anything bad happen in their life. We're just like two suburbs girls. We're brought up to be like, you know, the kind of people who please other people no matter what's going on and just try to like be chill and smile. And like, that's our attitudes. And we, we didn't have the appropriate toolkit to respond to such a grave situation. And for the longest time, I blamed myself a lot for what happened to me, honestly. Like I felt like I had done something wrong. My Italian wasn't good enough. I wasn't understanding what was, cause that's the other problem is like, I wasn't even quite sure what was happening at first because people were screaming in Italian and I had like, I couldn't understand what people were saying. So like that was the other problem was, I was sort of late to the game to understand exactly what we were dealing with. But like over the years, 
I've cut my younger self a lot more slack, um, particularly, and I actually, I mentioned when I reached out to you, I was like, hey, if you want to like um, learn more about what I think about the case, I actually talk about it on my podcast when I interviewed Malcolm Gladwell. And he does a whole analysis about the case where he's like, Amanda's weird and people can't judge weirdos properly. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm mildly eccentric. Like after a long day, I want to go listen to Weird Al. That's for sure. <laughs> that <laughs> is weird. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, and that is Al. <laughs> and that is Al, yeah. And it's charming that you know that about yourself. Okay, yeah, go ahead. And yeah. That's me and that's okay. But like, I also have to think that me being mildly eccentric did not, you know, make my prosecutor arrest me. It didn't make them pursue a case against me even when they didn't have evidence against me. And so like, I really have to sort of step back and go, I can't blame myself for everything that happened. Um, everyone seems to really like to do that. Uh, but like, there are a lot more players in this equation that that was like this perfect storm of misunderstanding and and egos and and I was a very very small fringe part of it and I wish that like more people felt that way I mean that's how I feel about this whole story is like weirdly there's a whole Netflix documentary that's got my name on it and I am a fringe person like I don't actually have a lot of say I didn't do anything like I'm just sort of there um, and I wish there had been more attention when this whole thing was going on to the person who actually murdered my roommate. And like, that's always been frustrating for me. And anyway, it's, of course, I mean, oh no, by the way, that's not a ramble. We're dying to hear your words. Yeah. From we're your here mouth. for you to ramble. Um, did your cat just talk to you? Yeah. Her cat. Her cat. I just saw you. I have one over there and one over there, and they're both looking at me. I just saw you turn and nod, which again would make you eccentric. <laughs> um, it must have been incredibly. Uh, I mean, frustrating is such an understatement, but but even surreal because I th I think about your situation and I. I imagine when something like that happens, like you're saying, you're so far removed from it. Like you didn't even know what they were screaming about and talking about because you didn't know what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, and then to suddenly find yourself the, in the middle of it and they're angry at you and mad at you must yeah. have been so shocking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and everything happened so quickly. There were four days between the discovery of my roommate's body and me getting arrested. And in that four day period, I was arrested for 58 hours. I, or I, I was interrogated for 58 hours, but I had no idea like why they were interrogating me. They never like did the thing like they do in the movies where they put you in a room with a lamp hanging with over the light you bulb and they're on like, your what head. are you doing? Like, no, like they would just bring me back into the police office and I would just sit in an office and answer the same questions over and over and over again. And they kept telling me, you're such an important witness. You're such an important witness. Um, and I was like, why? I don't know anything. And they just kept pushing me to be like, you do know things. You do know things. Like, you just pick your mind. Like, you can figure it, you know, like, you know things. You have the key to the thing. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what it is. And, like, the longer that it took them to, like, push me to, like, say what they wanted me to say, like, the angrier they got at me. And I don't know. It's just. And as far as the interrogation, I mean, I always think about that, how I can't even imagine what it is like to be interrogated. Any moment that I think, oh, I bet it's like this, or I bet it feels like this. And you're saying you didn't, you didn't sleep a second and you were being interrogated, right? I mean, that's correct. No sleeping. You're up the entire yeah, time. So yeah, the final interrogation, they had me up all night. They actually brought me in at like 10 p.m. and started interrogating me at like 10 p.m. Um, and then kept me up all night. And so on the topic of interrogation, that's when you at one point in the um, documentary claimed that somebody, I can't remember the guy's name. 
His name is Patrick Mamumba. He uh-huh. was my boss at like the local bar that I occasionally like. I didn't bartend there. Um, I don't think I was even allowed to do that. I just kind of like served drinks or like passed out flyers. And um, so what is more that you can tell us about that part of the interrogation? Yeah, so that part of the interrogation um, is, it's weird to think about it this way, but I feel like it was the worst experience of my life. Mm-hmm. Even more than like getting the guilty verdict, mm-hmm. like more yeah. than that, like it was so traumatizing because it was the only time in my life that I've ever doubted my own sanity. Um, it was because I like basically, you know, they had they had been amping up their questioning of me over those four days, just getting progressively like less patient with me, mm-hmm. more angry with me, asking me the same questions over and over and over again, which I kept feeling like was my fault. Like, was I not speaking Italian well enough for them to understand me? Um, And eventually they just told me like, look, you're lying. You're either lying or you don't remember. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like I told you everything. And and he's like, you know, no, your boyfriend says you didn't stay with him that night. You're protecting someone and you're never gonna see your family again unless you tell us who did it. And like, they're just yelling at me. And then what ends up happening is my cell phone is right there. They asked for my cell phone. And the last text message that I had received the night that the murder happened was from my boss. Mm-hmm. And he said, you don't have to come to work that night. And I said, va bene, ci vediamo più tardi, which sure. in Italian means no, we like, know. I'll we see know you what later. It yeah, yeah. So you know you know the whole like, see you no, later we don't, thing. we don't oh. know. She's oh, making okay, a okay. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know Italian. Okay, I am Italian, you know, we talked about the meatball, but listen, so, okay, you said, see you later. Yeah, so I said, see you later, Mm -hmm. but like in Italian, that doesn't directly translate. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they interpreted that to mean that I went and met with my boss Uh and they were like, why did you meet with your boss? Did your boss kill her? And that's how that all came up. And they said, look, you don't remember that your boss killed her. We need you to tell us so we can go arrest him. And that's how it all happened, where I thought like, oh my God, have I been traumatized? Do I not remember this? And I signed the statements that they gave me to sign. So that's what it is, is that you felt like you were losing your mind or you lost your mind and that you genuinely didn't remember that that was what happened. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, like I remembered my evening that night, like I remembered what I did, but they told me that all of those memories were wrong and that my brain had made up things to cover up for the trauma that I had witnessed. So they like pre- presented it to me as I was traumatized by witnessing my boss murder my roommate and I was making up false memories in order to not remember that. And after days of being interrogated and like being scared and alone and them hitting me and yelling at me, like I felt like the only answer for why this was happening to me was that they must be right. And so I caved, Mm -hmm. I broke. And at this point, you've been separated from your boyfriend and you have no idea what he's saying about you. He has no idea what you're saying about him. Mm -hmm. And what do you feel like in that dynamic maybe people don't um you know it never occurred to me that rafael would say anything like even when they were yelling at me and telling me that he said that i wasn't home with him i didn't believe them (laughs) um weirdly i i I thought they were just like yelling at me and trying to like scare me um and i do remember being like why would he say that that's not true like why would he say that um and meanwhile, like poor Raffaele, like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard his, what happened on his side of it, hmm. but like he was in the other room listening to me screaming and crying as they're like hitting me and yelling at me and he doesn't know what's going on. So like he's going through the exact same thing where they're like threatening him and saying, you got to throw this girl under the bus. Like it's, it's this whole terrible scenario. And anyway, it's. I, I don't exaggerate when I say it was the worst experience of my life. It's, it's hard because it's like the one sticking point for so many people. Mm. And they're like, if I were in that situation, I wouldn't have reacted that way. And it's like, well, I can't convince you 
of how it felt to be me in that moment. I, I can only tell you what it felt like and then hope that you believe me. And if you don't, like, that's sad, but also I, I can live with myself and, um, and it, and, you know, I've had my bad days feeling really guilty about everything that happened there. So a lot of people can say horrible things to me about it. And they do to this day, they still say that I'm, you know, a horrible person who accused an innocent man to cover up my own crimes. And it's not true. I didn't do that on purpose. I didn't go to the police office to like, you know, accuse my boss. Like he was a nice guy who gave me a job, uh, even though like I barely spoke Italian and, and I put him through that. And have um, you been in touch with him after the trial or after that, um, uh, interrogation? No. Um, no, because his, it's, it's hard because he really, as soon as he was like released, he got on the Amanda must be guilty. That's the only reason why she accused me train. Mm -hmm. And his lawyer in particular was, he was the one who de described me as like Luciferina. It was so like, there's this whole other aspect of like the lawyers stepping in and doing a lot of harm. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a complicated story. That certainly is one aspect of it that complicates it. But are you just, I mean, personally, I am shocked and I just see a sliver of it at the amount of people who are invested in this and the amount of people who to this day are, they're angry. Are most of the people that you encounter angry or mad or do you also have the same amount of people that say wow I can't believe you went through that and I'm so glad the truth came out and we all know that you didn't do it and you know we're glad you're here do you have the same amount of people or do you mostly have haters so it it's interesting it's like in the real world where I encounter real people um, a lot of people understand that what happened to me is not my fault that it was the police who went and forced me to sign statements that implicated an innocent man and they were the ones that went and arrested him and they were the ones who went forward to this you know this botched investigation even though they knew that there was nothing like no dna evidence linking me to the crime scene like there are so many people who i encounter in my day-to-day -day life who are very kind and say like we understand it's only like by people online speaking to me that get really vicious and get really mean and seem to really want to go out of their way to inform me that I shall never live without this shadow of hatred sort of raining down on me. And that's interesting. It's weird because it's like, it's effective in the sense that it makes me feel like, you know, whoever I might meet might hate me and I just don't know. But my experience since coming home has been people being, if the, even if they were like, had negative thoughts towards me, at the beginning, uh, once they met me, they changed their mind. Right. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Right. So people who have a personal connection with you and know you can understand it better. So you have these people. It's the crazy part of social media. And I think anybody who's in the spotlight at all for any reason, you automatically have people who just hate you and spend Mm. time online hating you. And it's bizarre. It's like, why did you get up in the morning and tell me how much you hate my shoes or my feet or whatever it is? You've really (laughs) been through it. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same thing. Everyone hates Cheryl's shoes. Oh, no. No, yeah, no, Amanda, no. it's hard. You have no idea how difficult this is for me. Uh, but it's just, it's the idea that pe- people behind a computer, nobody sees their faces, nobody knows who they are. They'll, they say any crazy shit that they want to, and it's, it's strange to me. Yeah, it's because you're the idea of a person, right? You're not a person, you're the idea of a person. And if you're an idea of a person, people can project whatever they want onto you. Um, even for little things, which is fascinating. So why do you think, even with the revelation or the the facts, I'm assuming facts, that there was no the DNA, evidence. the evidence, the facts, the evidence, the factual evidence, okay, that there is... Cheryl, I swear <laughs> to God, Go I am talking to Amanda Knox. <laughs> helping you but you're not helping anyone (laughs) you're just gonna make more people hate your shoes (laughs) um why if there is that evidence or lack thereof Mm -hmm. are people still convinced that you are guilty um Yeah, you know, like, it doesn't seem to matter to people that, like, I recanted the next day. It doesn't seem to matter to people that there's no DNA evidence. Um, I think, again, uh, it depends on how you experienced the story. So there are those who casually absorbed Mm -hmm. just the most scandalous information about it. And so just sort of have an opinion that is based on just the scant things that they heard. And of course, they're not going to hear the headline that says, oh, wait, there was no evidence. Like, it, that's less not as of exciting. a thing than yeah. like the sex orgy turned wrong, whatever. Why people are attached to it. Um, you know, I wish I, I wish I knew uh, because I feel like that is something that I struggle with um where i think you know there's nothing there's nothing i can do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right like there's no evidence that i can show people to rationally convey the truth and mm-hmm. i think that that is because people have almost wrapped up their identity around like taking a position on it and, you know, cause I, I found there are quite a few like Trump supporters who support me um, until they find out that I didn't vote for Trump. And then they're like, oh, I think you're guilty now. And I'm like, oh, that's a weird reason to think that I'm guilty or innocent. Like it's, it doesn't seem like it's rational. I was gonna <laughs> yeah. say that uh, it seems very similar to when somebody has picked a political party. It's very hard to sway there's right. you know the undecided vote how do you even live in that area when it's clearly this or that and right. so yeah. it it reminds me of that totally yeah well you know amanda at the beginning of this documentary you say something and i won't get the words right but uh if it wasn't me or if it was me then i'm a monster so- something like that and i think what people have such a hard time understanding i know i do i'm sure most people cannot understand why in the world this guy would wake up in the morning and kill somebody that night. It's You just can't even imagine it. Does it make sense? What would make somebody do that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, you just, you can't make sense of it. So it seems like for some people, they would rather have some story that somehow connects it 
so it makes sense uh, otherwise like you were saying it's just somebody waking up in the morning and doing a really hideous thing what i find interesting is that actually the other story i feel is more easy to understand like the guy who killed her had this whole history of in like the months and weeks leading up like days before he murdered Meredith he was breaking into another schoolhouse and like you know, using all their like stealing laptops and and like I think it was a few weeks before the murder he broke into someone's house and was wielding a knife at them like it was in his wheelhouse right and yet they decided to go with the sex orgy story and like that's the thing that is you know frustrating for me because once again it's like all of the things added up you had everything you needed from the beginning to like know who did this and 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 you know if even if it's not like a very satisfying why did he do this why did he break into this house and and rape and murder this girl he was a broken person right like he grew yeah. up without a family he was in and out of people's homes he was just adrift right he was a young man who was adrift who was getting through life by burglarizing people's houses and he snapped I don't know like I, right. I'm not sure what happened to him in that moment but it's not the first time it has happened right. so like the thing that's always you know made me sad is that this whole thing was blown out of proportion just so they could make me guilty no matter what that yeah. was what was really hard um because again it's like i can't rationalize with you if you're right if you've decided i'm guilty and all the evidence must point in that direction you spent four years in prison yeah and you know i think during the quarantine i think of people who are in prison or who have been in prison and how everybody that has spent this last um what nine ten months uh, quarantined or some version of it thinking how will we ever get back to normal life and I, I feel like I will be scarred by this and I don't and I think oh my gosh people are in prison for long stretches and then they get back out into life and there's some version of normal and so this this quarantine must be <laughs> nothing <laughs> to you to some degree <laughs> but I'm curious has it reminded you of that time even though I know it's so so different we are in homes but I'm saying yeah. just having your freedom restricted in ways is there an association there or are you just like no we are fine during this pandemic as long as we take safety precautions because prison I would imagine is not a beautiful place no, no. Cheryl, um, stay out of it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I very much feel that I'm equipped to handle the quarantine because I know what it feels like to sort of know that I have to hunker down and make the best of a bad situation. Mm -hmm. um, I do have thoughts, though, like, this Thanksgiving, I'm not going to be able to go have Thanksgiving with my family. And the, you know, we'll, we'll Zoom or something, but it won't be the same. And it's, it's, I have these moments of like, oh shit, the last time I wasn't, the only time I've never been able to have Thanksgiving with my family was when I was in prison. Wow. So like, if anything, like right now, when I think about prison, I am so, so grateful that I am not in prison right now. Mm -hmm. because there are people in prison right now who haven't seen their family members for almost a year. Because they and can't even go to visit. They can't go visit. Wow. There's no yeah. way to visit because all of the prisons are locked down. Wow. Did you make any friends in prison? Actually, um, I have a friend from prison who's planning on coming for Thanksgiving. She comes every year. Um, she's Does she the, live in Italy? Classic no, she's friend the from one, prison. <laughs> 
She was my celly, yeah. Um, my she was my celly. <laughs> my God, it sounds yeah, so cute. My, my conchalina. Um, oh, she conchalina. is the other, and that's a totally made up word that I just, okay. <laughs> like, well, we, we won't like know. We won't know. We just the meatball. Nope. Um, and what yeah, was she? She was, she was in um, because her Italian boyfriend laced her um, luggage with cocaine. And like, just like in the seams and everything, like just packed it with cocaine. And then she arrived in Italy to have this grand vacation with him. He was going to pick her up at the airport. He had gifted her this luggage and she gets arrested. And she's like, oh my God, no, my boyfriend, his name is this. He gave me this luggage. And they're like, that person doesn't exist. So then (gasps) lo, she gets thrown in prison. But she was a lot older than me. She was the one other American person in prison and um did they pair she, you up because you were both american yes they they paired us up because we were american but also because they were afraid that i was going to kill myself at one point they they put me in um her cell right after i was convicted and they were like if amanda's going to kill herself at any point it's now um so they put me in with this person who i had been like going on walks with and Mm. and we would just like talk about all the things we missed like sushi and stuff like that i mean that sounds like the most compassionate thing that i've heard that the that the the prison system yes for you anyway i mean when i and i didn't realize this until i saw this documentary about uh about them telling you that you were hiv positive is which you were not, mm-hmm. uh, but they told you that and let you believe that for how long? For several weeks, yeah. <laughs> it's um, beyond, I, I just can't even imagine it. When you were in there, there must have been moments that were so low. I mean, did you ever contemplate taking your life or did you? were you the whole time just thinking, I know I'll be out tomorrow, I gotta power through? So the first two years, I felt like I just need to get through this. Like it was a light at the end of the tunnel. Like this is all a big mistake. I was in for two years before I was convicted. And then I was, I was convicted at the end of 2009 and 2010 was a very, very bad year for me. A really, really bad year. Um, And it was, it was hard because um, my family kept thinking, well, the tunnel's just a lot longer than we thought, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I stopped believing in that. Mm. I felt like everything that I thought I could ever count on had disappeared. And I started having a different relationship with the prison environment. I kept thinking I'm gonna go back to my real life, but what if this is my real life? Right. What if this right. is where I live out my life? And yeah, that's how... got to be dark. It's yeah. dark. And it's also like, how do I make the most of an existence that is fundamentally sad? It's not that mm. it couldn't be fundamentally fulfilling in a way like it's not there's nothing that you can't make meaning out of. But I did have to have like a conversation with myself every day about whether or not it was worth it and i um and i started like doing that it's it's gonna sound crazy but like i would have conversations with a younger version of myself that hadn't gone through it yet Uh, and i would like walk her through what she was going to experience wow almost in like a big sisterly kind of way i'm a big sister i have three younger sisters so i was trying to like big sister myself through this yeah well you know one of the things that um you know you hear this advice throughout life and i think it's something to not ignore and that is to take your own advice and i feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of times people just hear that as something oh yeah you know yeah, you should take your own advice. But when you really think about it and you imagine yourself giving somebody else advice, that is what you should do a lot of times. And it is so important. And I think about it all of the time. And that's interesting. Yeah. And I connect to what you're saying in the the past eight years of my life, I've had a lot of health issues. And there's been different points where I've thought, 
okay, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and then I'll be <laughs> clobbered with something else. And then I think, okay, well, I can get through this because I got through the last thing and then something else would happen. And then I get to a point where I'm like, is this my life? Will I not mm. ever have true freedom to not be imprisoned by this pain or fear that I'll always be in pain? Mm. And it, it it's just something that, uh, that I've had to have many conversations with myself about. And it, and it goes back to taking my own advice because when I think of somebody telling me this, there is no way I would lose hope in them. There is no way. Yeah. I just find it to be really key in taking your own advice. So, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry you're going through that, Tig. Well, I appreciate that. I'm sorry for for all that you've gone through and everybody involved in the case that you've been involved in has gone through. It sounds like a living nightmare. And what I have control over, I try very hard to take care of myself, to take care of my health, to surround myself with positivity and hope. But, you know, outside of the three of us on this pot are there three of us yes i'm not i'm not good with math but i'm thinking of anybody that is that that's listening and that um there's so much that people can connect to and relate to about yeah losing hope yeah so amanda can you tell us where you are in your life now and what you're doing and even like a what's a normal day for you oh well that's that's great because it's way better. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I'm so yeah. glad to hear that. Um, it's great. So I um, I am married. I just got married um, right before. It's the it was the, for all of my friends and family. It was the last fun thing because oh, it was lockdown. literally right before lockdown. Um, and it was how you know, literally time travel like, themed. How like literally February right 29th. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow. So okay. leap day. Okay. Um, and yeah. my husband, Chris, and I both, um, he's a writer. I've become a journalist since everything that happened. Um, and we both work on a podcast together, which we're super proud of and we've worked so hard on. And it's got a lot of heart and it tackles a lot of really challenging subjects, but it's called Labyrinths. And I would love for you guys to listen and, and uh, tell well, me what definitely. you think. Yeah. Well, definitely. But yeah, the day-to-day -day is like we get up, we meditate. Um, we have breakfast feed and the cats. we get to work. We feed the cats, do all of that. In fact, there's another one looking at me. <laughs> and, and how did you two meet? Was there any sort of garbage that came along with, um, oh, I'm, I guess, I don't know if you had to say I'm Amanda Knox. Did he know you were Amanda Knox? Did he? He knew I was Amanda Knox. Yeah. <laughs> so it's. That's a tough thing to hide. What's your name? Don't worry about it. Yeah. But like, if you didn't. If I didn't see the documentary, I don't know that I would have clocked that you were Amanda Knox if you came mm. in mm. some place, you know, but I'm also mm. out, of not, a, yeah. out of the loop, yeah. whatever. Well, yeah, in Seattle, I, I get recognized a lot more just because also everyone sort of got a lot more invested in it than I think other people or other towns across the country. I don't know. It's like a, a hometown um, football team, you know, it's totally. like you live there, so you're behind the the team yeah. you know yeah that was amazing to come home to like welcome home amanda signs on like the local record store i was like right. oh that's my so nice. god <laughs> like that's wow. so nice it's it was nice and it was just like i also hadn't really fully comprehended how much like i had lived in this like jail bubble for four years and like i could not appreciate how it had become such a huge thing until paparazzi started chasing me so like to come home and like see, I was so touched, and um, and I, 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 it's still sort of hard for me to believe. Um, but anyway, um, I met my husband um, because he was he's a local author, right? And when I first came home, it was really hard for me to find a job um, because. I carry a lot of baggage with me and, you know, a lot of employees, like Monica Lewinsky, I know have this problem where people want to hire her for the wrong reasons or they don't mm -hmm. want to hire her because all of the crap. 
And have you been in touch with Monica or it's just something that you know from that afar? you recognize in her? Oh, I've met Monica and, and she mm -hmm. um, gave me some really, really great advice and has been a really supportive person. So mm -hmm. she's wonderful. I know her too. I love her. I've met her too. I've <laughs> met her two tigs. Stop it. I love oh. Monica Lewinsky. Okay. I, I feel we all like love I, Monica Lewinsky. Okay. She's Let's just so, make that I clear. Really I, I mean, I met her in passing. <laughs> if I can I just tell you something, I was on late night once and Bill Clinton was on the same show that I was on. And I made a point in my segment to say how tremendous of a person I think Monica Lewinsky is. Oh, it's amazing. Wow, so I love Monica Lewinsky. God, you really do. Yeah. Okay, this is a we, we should get t-shirts. <laughs> I cannot stand what happened to Monica Lewinsky. Anyway, that was, that's a tough. Okay, anyway, we see she gets derailed. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll hear from Monica Lewinsky. Maybe Monica Maybe Monica is listening right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, hopefully. you know what's crazy is Monica Lewinsky is listening. <laughs> right now yeah she'll be the next bonus <laughs> so amanda do you think you'll ever go to italy that's not enough i've been back to italy already shut up yes. where did you go i was invited by the italy innocence project to speak at their their first ever like conference thing about trial by media and that wow. was terrifying i thought i was either going to be shanked in the street or i was going to be rearrested for just daring to go and tell my side of the story but the you know the crazy thing that occurred after that is you know i had been trying to get in touch with my prosecutor and finally he started talking to me after all of that so oh my god <laughs> that is you are so brave I would have been like, I will never see you again, Italy. I don't. And, and you I know don't... what, Cheryl? Italy would have said, <laughs> don't let the door hit you in the ass. <laughs> Wish we cared. Uh, that's and, so, listen, you're, yeah. you're amazing. I, Amanda, I think you're truly amazing. And I think oh. that you probably have to be one of the wisest people hey. out there. Hey, hey. <laughs> and Tig. <laughs> Thank you. Tig, but you don't say words like, uh, I could have been shanked in the street. That's like I a, have that's said like that. No, I have said that before. You just weren't there. I've said that actually many times. You weren't listening, I, Cheryl. Yeah, I wasn't Cheryl, you were blabbing about something about how... My shoes. Yeah, about, your, about the pain you've experienced with people not liking your shoes. And I'm over here saying I could have been shanked in the street. Okay. <laughs> Um, Tig, we have to let Amanda go. I feel like you've got you've got to stop. Okay. Well, I we, you know we before we go, I just I know you said I think you're right to be um to embrace who you are and um and I know in our podcast that you listened to, I said what a great moment where you could just like get a mohawk and put on like fifty pounds and that just sounds fun though. <laughs> you have been very very interesting and fascinating to talk to and you know we were all very thrilled to hear from you and by the possibility of discussing this more with you and so thank you for giving us that opportunity and I yeah. I am glad that we weren't um a negative experience listening to the <laughs> podcast no, because yeah we can be we can be a little flip about our... yeah, yeah a little silly but try yeah. to try to keep some well <laughs> i have been accused of being uh insensitive and flippant about serious oh, things well, too so we, i know we, <laughs> because we we accuse you of that <laughs> um amanda tell us one more time the name of your podcast and where people can hear it because i'm sure people are going to want to pay attention to this Great. So it's called Labyrinths. Um, it is with iHeartRadio, but you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Fantastic. Great. Well, I just want to give you a heads up. Nobody listens to our podcast, so you won't see any traffic <laughs> heading your way. Well, thank you. Absolutely. No one loves traffic. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for coming. Thank and I, I hope we 
see you and hear from you again. And yeah, you um, know what? I I thought there was like a dinner invitation somewhere in there. Come on over. So if you have any more questions, I'm happy. Well, yeah. To why come don't hang you out. and your husband okay. and your um three cats, cats. your cats, <laughs> and then your um cellmate join us all Selly. for Thanksgiving. Your Selly, join us all for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my gosh. <laughs> We won't even let our own families come over, but we're having Amanda Knox and her husband <laughs> and her cats and her cellmate for the holidays. <laughs> no, I uh, I really, really enjoyed speaking with you, and I wish you all of the best, and I hope that uh, all of the facts and truths and everything with your life in this case gets sorted out uh, because, I mean, everybody should be living a good, good life. And, uh, and I hope that everyone involved in that case and everybody listening for that matter, mm. just God live a good life. Right. Yeah. That's right. Hang in there. Yeah. <laughs> Hang in there, everybody. Thank you again, Amanda. I don't know how many times we can say goodbye. This is turning into a curb episode. Well, we it's also like have double goodbye, the triple goodbye. It's ridiculous. I'm embarrassed. No, you're not. You're embarrassing me, Tig. No, I am not. I am helping elevate you. Okay? This is the biggest shot in your career. Right. That's right. Uh, all right, Amanda, uh, have a good Thanksgiving and, um, and yeah, I'm sure we'll, uh, I don't know if we'll cross paths again, but maybe we will. No, I feel like it. I feel like I will with you, Amanda. Some, yeah. If I'm ever in Seattle, I'm going to text you. Please Just do. Yeah. Let, letting you know that now. Okay. Yeah. I love that. I'd like to drink a scotch with you, even though I don't drink scotch, but I will. We love to cook. We love to host people. So come on down. But do you drink scotch? Uh, my husband does. <laughs> Okay. Have, we'll have so Cheryl will be up all night drunk with your husband. All right. Perfect. I love where this is going. All right. Okay. Take care. Okay. okay. All right. Bye, Amanda. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey, Cheryl. Yeah. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Okay. All right, then. Okay. Bye, Bye guys. So thank you, everybody, for listening to our first ever bonus episode. And if you liked it, let us know on social media. If you would like to see us interview other subjects, subject matters. Oh, God. <laughs> People. Okay. Anyway, just let us know. We, we're listening. Tig and Cheryl True Story is hosted by me, Cheryl Hines, and Tig Notaro. It's produced by Gabby Kovacic and Thomas Willett. Audio engineered and edited by Thomas Willett with music by David Sessons. And special thanks to Patrick McDonald and Stephanie Allen. Follow us on social media for updates and review and rate True Story on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. And you can email us at Tig and Cheryl True Story at gmail.com. Next week, we will be talking about My Octopus Teacher. That was a HeadGum Podcast.